Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Welcome to another Speaks Exchange podcast. I'm Donald Taylor, your host, but I won't be doing most of the talking. I'll be listening with you to Dr. Hannah Gore, learning experience consultant extraordinaire. Those three words barely cover her range of experience and her depth of thinking about our field of learning and development. Hannah, as you know, we have a range of questions, typically seven questions we get through in one of these exchange podcasts. For all interviewees, we ask them to introduce yourself. Hannah, can you introduce yourself? Get beyond the three words of learning experience consultant. Okay, that well, uh, I just say that I work in the fields of learning and development. I specialize in a number of different areas. And I look at, in general, learning experience that can be anything from the learning and design to the engagement to how they pass through a platform, a course, a piece of content, a video, and all the data that comes with it. That's great. Many people would say they do similar things. They haven't Mm. got your range of experience. Tell us about what you've done in the past, if you can. Well, I've been in L&D now 20 years, which makes me feel exceptionally old. I don't believe it. No, it's true. Since I was about two years old, I got into L&D. And for 15 years, I've been working in online and blended learning. Prior to that, it was face-to-face for a number of different companies. I spent 13 years at the Open University, where I used to make content and platforms for around about 10 million people worldwide. And I worked with the Open University for six years on their MOOCs programs and their micro qualifications. And then two years ago, I moved to a company called Solera Holdings, which is a parent company for 37 companies in 93 countries. And I was there until the COVID outbreak where I ran a business school for them that I developed from scratch based on flipped classroom blended methodology. Very concise and gives us a sense that you're not just making this stuff up. You've done it at scale across Mm -hmm. countries. And am I correct in saying that you have probably... You said you worked at the Open University where you were in developing MOOCs, massive open online courses. Am I correct in saying you've probably developed more of those than anybody else or produced them? Apparently so. I have produced, either produced, written, and I've presented over 300 of them now. It's also what my doctorate's in. My doctorate's in the largest single source data set of MOOCs from the Open University over a three-year period. And it really looked into why people study MOOCs and how it impacts learning design, which from that you can take a lot of data from in developing online content moving forward. Now, talking about developing online content, that's what we're here to discuss because a lot of people right now are looking at how they can take content either for the classroom and put it online or just go online straight away. What are the do's and the don'ts? What's your experience about doing it right? And what have you seen people doing wrong? I think the addressing what people are doing wrong is probably important to address first. I'm seeing a lot of people putting PowerPoints up onto SharePoint and calling it online learning. No, 
that is not online learning that is some learning that has been put online they are two very different things online learning and learning design is a science it's derived from uh, research it's a craft putting a powerpoint online does not make for a good learning experience for anybody and the easiest way to tell that is trying to do it yourself because you will not move through that powerpoint in the same way as you would if it was in an online uh, a face-to-face experience it just wouldn't happen so that is the number one don't please don't SharePoint's are great repository tools. They are not great learning platforms. Yes, um, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't beat up SharePoint. I mean, it's no, one it's of the right tools, mm. but the, the issue isn't the tool. The issue is that you stick up, and it, it's not PowerPoint's fault either, but the idea of you mm. putting content in a place and saying, go learn, yes. is only going to work for the most highly motivated of students. Incredibly highly motivated students that already know the content. That's who it works for, which is a very niche part of your consumer group. SharePoints can be used in online learning. I used them at Solera, the last company I was at. They were used for repositories, either for documents that we'd embedded within courses as an alternative library. So they had them in two different places, but also as well, we use it as a repository for best practice. So ours was practice-based learning. They had to develop a portfolio as they were progressing through certain courses they could then put that portfolio in the SharePoint for others to look at and see how they had developed a sales pitch presentation for a particular company or a particular product that's what we used it for and for nothing else and for us that worked with the do's I think right now is a really good opportunity for L&D people to really get into the sort of science of learning design understand their people a hell of a lot more than they currently do and really get to grips as to what their learning design portfolio, curriculum, catalog, whatever is the buzzword that you use inside your company is. Because some things translate beautifully to online and some things don't. So testing is massively crucial. Test it yourself. Test it on a day that you don't want to do it. Get somebody who doesn't understand it to test it for you. If they've learned something, something's right. If they've got to the end and gone, what the hell was that all about? Or I lost the way or I got bored it's not right. You know, I never get things right first time around, even 300 odd courses in, whilst 300 odd MOOCs have done stuff before that. They're still tweaking. It depends. It varies from subject to subject. So you can't cookie cutter everything. You can't go, this is the template I'm using for everything. It just won't work. And it's understanding that about what you've got. You did mention the science and making sure you listen to your people. Okay. Science of learning, fantastic. That covers a wide range. Is there one thing that you think people could benefit from focusing on? I think they could benefit from understanding different types of learning taxonomies. So how a course is constructed, when you walk through a course, you know that there's articles in there, there's videos, there's quizzes, there's activities that they have to do. And it's about the balance of those. My mm. doctorate went into that in, in quite a lot of detail. Anyone can read the executive summary or the conclusion if they want to sort of pray off that. But it's getting the mix right for the content that you have and the learners that you have makes it more engaging. If you just put up, and I've seen it done before, a PDF that's 40 pages long and gone, there's your course. You're going to get a page or two in and go, unless you've printed it off and got out a highlighter pen or you're making notes as you go in long and, and you know what works for you as a learner. Most people will not sit down and read 40 pages on a particular way of learning a uh, piece of content. They just won't. Typically they won't. And um, by the way, of course, as well as reading the abstract of your thesis, they could also visit drhannahgore.com and the URL is in the show notes. Now, you mentioned also talking to people. There are many ways of doing that and I'm a great believer in quite, quite well 
thought out ways of getting people together to not extract information from them, but rather to invite them <laughs> to this information. Uh, but mm. in a way that is systematic. How would you go about, firstly, testing the stuff you've got, but also perhaps beforehand work out what people, mm -hmm. what will work with people, and then afterwards see how it's, how it's working when it's released into the wild? How do you talk to people and listen? Yeah, when I worked with Solera, I spent a lot of time talking to the staff either through interviews, focus yep. groups, surveys, always good, love a bit of data from a survey. But whatever data you think you had before this crisis, this COVID-19 crisis, is almost irrelevant because people are now working from home or they're working on split shifts or they're working in a socially distanced warehouse. This is not the same as before. You can't put them all in the classroom. You can't have a quarterly review mm -hmm. in the same kind of way. So you have to ask them again, you know, how are they learning? What kind of styles do they like? What kind of length content are they looking for in this new, more rapid paced world that we're in now, where the working environment is constantly changing based on new government guidance. And it's really breaking that down and then developing content and testing it in a beta environment. When I worked for Solera, we tested it on beta test groups and to see how they compare country to country, company to company. In the Open University, we would put content out on YouTube, iTunes U, podcasts to listen to, videos to watch that we would put inside courses later on and test the water, right. see how people reacted and then worked out, is this a good direction or a bad direction before we made a bigger piece of content. And I, and I it do, is I, beneficial. I've got for a second there because I just want to fervently agree with you and I think for too long we've had the tradition in our field that you make something mm. and you share it and that might have been true in the past when we had one mechanism for distribution the classroom and we had a fairly predictable set of people we were working for and their expectations coming into the classroom were established mm. now everything's up in the air and I think it, it doesn't do anybody any favours to make assumptions we have to test all the time as you say I want to look to the future now i want to picture where we are in 2021 mm -hmm. let's hope we're through this whole crisis but we have a new normal yes. my my phrase is it will be digital by default I'm not saying that everything has to be digital but people will naturally be thinking how do we do this online whereas in the past they would have been mm. thinking how do we do this and we'll do it physically with that in mind what will be different and what are we not taking into account looking to the future I think the first thing we have to take into account is we're never going back to January 2020. The world will have moved on in the forthcoming months. It already has massively now. And so we can't go back. And I think it's good not to go back. This is actually quite a good time for L&D. I wouldn't say it's necessarily all digital by default. Uh, I would say that the route may move to digital. I think there are certain aspects. When I worked in Solera, I used the flipped classroom methodology. I think right. that this is a good opportunity in the new normal to have flipped classrooms. So, for example, to give you an example, in the olden days, January 2020, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a lifetime ago. It doesn't Christ seem like it, it Christmas seems so Christmas literally remote, feels like a decade ago. So back in January 2020, you wanted someone to brush up on their presentation skills. You would put them in a room with 20 other people, a PowerPoint handout and somebody at the front of the room, and they would teach you, and I use bunny ears with that sometimes, how to give a great presentation. You will doodle on the notes. You'll go back to your desk. You put the notes inside the desk and you'll carry on with your life. And then a month could go by and you've got to make a presentation. Uh, you pull out your notes. You look at them blankly. If you remember doodling, but that's it. And then you try to cobble something together and your boss is there puzzled because they're like, I sent you on training. This is not the magic pill that you can swallow. 
With flipped classroom methodology, what we did inside Solera instead was we created an online course about how to be a great presenter. And we looked at the science of building the narrative of a good presentation, the peaks and the troughs, the narrative that flows all the way through, how to use imaging correctly, how to use one strap lines that you work well for Twitter when you're in a conference, important key pieces of information that have to appear on the screen versus all the other stuff that doesn't, how to work a room, how to get people interested, all the science was there. And they, whilst they were learning this, they were writing their presentation. They had to pass it through their line manager, who was the checkpointer, not me because of local differences and, and differences in local laws and variations on product, but then they would come to the classroom and then they would practice their presentation. What would happen is they would come out of that classroom in a better state than if they'd just walked in, sat down and doodled on a PowerPoint. And I think Flip Classroom could be amazing for a lot of companies, especially ones that have got customer service skills, face-to-face -face skills, presentations, sales pitches, where you need to have the science first and then you practice your capability afterwards. Absolutely. So classic flip classroom model. You do the content piece at a pace uh, that suits you in mm -hmm. not necessarily your own time, but in time outside the classroom. Yeah. And then when you come together, you're using that physical environment for what it does best. It yes. could be presentation skills, it could be soft skills, interpersonal mm -hmm. relationships, whatever. And it could also be, and one reason for getting people together could be actually online or it could be physically. One great reason for getting people together mm. is always to check understanding because there's always the possibility people have got the wrong end of the stick. So I buy that. When I say digital by default, of course, mm. I, I, I mean people have to then justify why the physical space is worth doing yes. and it's absolutely worth doing in that case. Is the course always the answer? Or in this new world, 2021, are there other things people are using to learn from? I mean, and it can is be... it always learning? I think we're always learning. I mean, I'm learning every single day. But what I mean is the answer to an issue isn't always learning. Sometimes it's no. a job aid or it's a... Or it's, it's a, a practice problem. or it's an observation or it's yeah. a buddy system. But there has to be concrete learning before they do the face-to-face. -face. And I think that gives them confidence. Because if you're in a workshop environment and you're sitting there and you're doodling, and then they say, can someone please give a presentation example? You go, <gasps> it's just the same when people ask you to put up your hands at a conference or doing around the room or something like that. You freeze up inside. But at least you're coming with some confidence. It also helps the facilitator yeah. of the face-to-face because -face, people are coming in with prior knowledge, a prior experience, a piece of content that they can work with, that content being a portfolio of some description. It could be a role play. It could be yeah. a presentation. It could be... An it could be a database, maybe, maybe the be database thing to fix, whatever, yes. Yeah, it could be, but they're working then with something. Yeah. So then they've got actual practice-based knowledge with actual yeah. practicing. So I think okay. it's more powerful. Now, one question that always comes up in this situation is, how do you get people to do the work beforehand? Because mm. very often, and this, whether, whether it's actually in a classroom, physically, or in a classroom online, mm. there's always the issue to make sure people are motivated, engaged and committed enough to do that work. Absolutely. With Solera, how I worked it was their line manager signed off the content before it came online to a classroom. And that was really important because it's the conversation right. that the managers had with the member of staff to go, oh, I think we should work on your presentation skills. Now, for me, there is transactional leaders and transformational managers. And a transactional leader is the type of person that just goes off and he says, oh, I know, you go do some 
presentations goes off you go down the corridor and then they come back and they don't mention it and that's very transactional but a transformational kind of leader is the type of person that goes okay let's work with it what have you got and it's not enough especially in the company that i was in that was sales based and software development based to say i don't know why they didn't get that picture of that client it's not good enough they have to know how their staff is working how do you know how to develop your member of staff if you don't know how they're working so with the manager signing them off takes a hell of a lot of hassle out of the facilitator because the facilitator doesn't have the kind of matrix management power that line management power has, but in a good way. It can be a good thing, not an oppressive thing, but in a team building way and a relationship with your manager kind of way, show them your skills, show them what you're good at, and then it develop is, it through. It is the manager's job. To do this, it is always the manager's job to support people to make sure they are developing themselves and getting better at their jobs. The reality, as we know, is that too often people don't, managers don't do this. To be honest, whether this is involving a technological change or a shift in pedagogy or not, this is actually a crucial thing anyway. How do we get managers involved? So, if you want to bring managers along with you to make sure that people are learning much more effectively. How do you do it? It's a culture shift. It takes time. It's hard work. A lot of blood, sweat and tears go into it. But there's two things Look, that you Trying to be up. upbeat here, trying to give people positive, yeah, positive no, no. ideas. Well, well, I'm being realistic. I don't have a magic pill. <laughs> but it's two things that you bring to the table to explain to the manager why they should do it. The first thing is, do you want a more highly effective team that does not waste any time? We're all about efficiency, especially if you work, in my case, where I used to work, sales and software development, efficiency was everything. Yeah. So it's about being more efficient, doing your job properly, hitting those targets. Do you want to do that or not? because this is the best way to do it. And the second thing is, whilst you're signing off your staff, your manager is signing off you. And that's really important that they see that it goes all the way up the chain. It went all the way up to my managing director, right up to the top. He was signing off his directors. They have to see it's not just, I'm a low level manager, I have to sign off the team at the coalface. It, it goes all the way up the chain and so the MD sees them as well. They have to sign them off as well. Because if you want it to work, it has to go all the way through the company. And so once they realize that their managers are signing off and their managers are signing off, it's not, uh, I'm not poking at them. I'm poking at the system as a whole to make it better. And showing them the results in other countries and other companies really helped. So you get pilots and champions. And by doing what we call high functioning training, it really showed a difference in their stats and in their performance and managers saying, yes, I understand my staff better. I've angled staff better for certain pitches, certain clients. I've moved staff around as a result and we're much better performing. And there's also that kind of natural competition value. You know, you always want to be the best. You want to be the best that you can be, especially if you work in sales. And that has helped move it along as a culture so that took time but paid off dividends in the end so it was worth the time it took i'd hazard that there's a certain amount of self-confidence required to go and have those conversations mm. rather than simply saying yeah here's your course yeah do you think everyone can have that conversation with managers where they or let's let's say you're starting with you want to get one manager on board mm -hmm. so that they can be the person who's going to show that it works in turn how do you how do you have the conversation with your first manager perhaps yeah. you're not feeling very confident about i think the first step is that l d people are absolutely lovely the problem is sometimes they're too lovely and they don't realize how powerful they actually are 
So good L&D can make a company and bad L&D can break a company. And mm. we're in a prime position to help that manager. We are not nice to haves, we need to haves. So you find a manager that you know is open to conversation, that maybe has a need that needs to be fixed. Look at your data for your company. Look at the five-year strategy. See how you can fit into it and how you can help deliver. And start with a conversation of, I've noticed this inside. How are you going to progress this? How are you planning on hitting that target? How are you planning to do that rollout? And then start to weave in how you can help. And it's finding that pocket, but that pocket comes with research. You know, you can't yep. just swan down an office and go, oh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, I'm an extrovert, as you well know. So it's the type of thing I would do, but I base it on science and I go, but I know you've got to deliver this. And yep. I know that you've got to do this by this date. And I'm here to help you do it. And you've got I to change that. it up. And you are, in effect, a salesperson for your own department. And you've just got to get out there and make people realize how important you are now more and than useful. ever to them immensely useful yeah absolutely you mentioned data when we had the conversation prior to this recording we we discussed the fact that no course is ever really finished Mm. and no form of online learning is ever really finished it's always iterating uh how do you use the data to make sure that you are iterating the right way to see what's Mm. working and what's not yeah there's three reasons why a course is never finished first one is the content it goes out of date it happens i mean New things come to light, content changes, new developments inside the company, whatever that may be. You've got data and user review, how people are actually working their way through the content. Whatever that content is, it could be a course, could be a video, could be a podcast. You're seeing where they're stopping, they're starting, they're falling down, their quiz questions aren't quite right, whatever it may be. Just to be clear, we're talking about tracking the behavior and the Absolutely. Uh, interaction of mm-hmm. users at different points within a course. Absolutely. So you're looking at where they're dropping off where they're stopping, where they're taking breaks, where they've got a question wrong. Is it you didn't explain the question very well or you didn't explain the content earlier on very well? It's always one or the other. And also the company strategy review. Content changes based on the direction of the company and where it's going. So if there is a change in direction, for example, you've changed to consultative selling, then you need to change your content to move towards consultative selling. And so no course is ever finished. And once you've assigned yourself to that, it is much easier to then take it apart and undo it again. If you go, oh, but I finished that one. I thought I ticked it off. If you're always in the belief that you're there to make Mm. it better, 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 then it's easier to go back and pull it apart, take bits out, put new bits in. And I think this addresses one of the issues which I've always observed with learning and development, which is we tend to want to create things. Mm. But we are not, yes, we are creating things, but that's not the point. What we're doing is we're engaging in a process. The process is constantly examining our activity to see how Mm. effective it is. That's different Mm. from our focus beyond creating a course. Mm. And if you focus on the activity as a process, rather than it coming to this thing that you then don't want to change that helps you and it helps the organization as well and it also helps because obviously you want to make sure the course or the materials are as good as they are but it also means that you're not as too often learning and development is it also means that you're not shackled to the idea of perfection wanting Mm -hmm. to create the perfect course before you launch it it's so dangerous i see it all the time people writing content and they go, it's not quite ready yet. It's, not, it's never ready. It's never finished. <laughs> it's not quite ready yet. It's never you quite know, finished. It's That's never right. quite finished. And, and that is okay to be that. Because until you've tested it, do you know if it's actually any good? I mean, you could spend a year writing a book, a year making a course, 
And then it's just all fallen apart in the first 30 minutes of someone actually taking it. So yep. never look at it like that. And also as well, the importance of having that culture around you and explaining that to the people that you work with means that people do come to you and go, oh, I've noticed this or, oh, we've changed a procedure here or we've added a new piece of feature to this piece of software. You know, can we add it into the course? And they know it's okay to do so that they can go, let me help you update it as well. We've talked about a lot of change. We've talked about shifting mm. to a flipped model. We've talked about justifying the use of physical space. We've talked about going out, finding managers and effectively selling to them. We've talked about using data, we've talked about iterating process rather than producing fixed result content. This is a very different sort of learning and development. Mm. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the outcomes? of all this? I'm 50-50. The reason why I'm optimistic is I talk about COVID-19 like it's an apocalypse constantly. And the reason why is it allows me to wipe the slate clean and start over in anything I'm doing. And I can just go anything pre-apocalypse doesn't count. And I can start again. And that's an amazing mindset to have because you can do anything you want. You can be anybody you want. It's the same with L&D. It could be anything you want, you can now start to develop a new strategy based on this new world that we're in. But I'm also pessimistic in the fact that people are seeing this phenomenon as a stopgap, as a holding pattern until we yeah. get back to work, until we're allowed to stand within one foot of each other instead of six feet. And we can put them back in the classroom again and we'll take everything off SharePoint and we'll just go back to the way it was. And there is that danger because old habits die hard. And I think that's where I've got the, it's almost like a seesaw, where there's some days I look at LinkedIn, discussions on blogs, Twitter, and I think, oh, this is going to be great. And then there's other days that I can see people want to cling on to the comforts of the past and just go, yes, oh, that'd be really great again if I can have that experience. And, and I had this situation, we did a webinar recently, Don and I, and someone contacted me afterwards and he was doing his first ever webinar training instead of a get together training. And I broke down to him, you know, how to do it all. But also I said, what is it you love the most about this get together, this get together training? It was always mm -hmm. over three days. And he said, catching up with everybody before the training, because they always do it from a hotel, they all travel there you know, the usual hotel conference room job. But the thing that they really love about it is the curry on after the first night. And I said, there is no reason why in this world you still can't do that just through the medium of Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, house party, whatever it may be. Those are the things that glue it together that has nothing to do with the training. So once you take that out of the equation, you can transfer the training. It's how do you develop? And we had a long chat about how to develop social interaction around online to make it feel real that was the glue that stuck the whole thing together so i think you know people can think differently now but they may also slip back into old ways and i think this is such a good opportunity to go let's change the world today that we shouldn't pass it up because this is across the board so we need to really address how we as lnd people can be trailblazers in that firstly thank you really okay. comprehensive answer uh, with a lot of insight and i think there's something to add to it as well if i may mm. Whatever learning and development decides to do when lockdown finishes and we come out of it, people who write checks and pay for things will be probably asking, why are we sending people to this physical space to get trained mm -hmm. when for six months we were able, apparently, to do most things online? Mm -hmm. Now, unless you've got a very good answer for that, you're suddenly going to find yourself on the back foot doing what mm -hmm. the 
financial people want. And it may be mm. that it's right to do it online. It may be that it's wrong. But have an answer. Be ready for it. You're right. It's not a stopgap. This is not a temporary thing. Things are going to change as a result of the process we're going through at the moment. Absolutely. I think so. I think you've got to go in prepared. You've got to start working out what is the next five year strategy going to look like. And that rewrites itself every six to 12 months. Um, because we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation for. And we don't know what the situation is going to look like when we come out of it. And, and I think we have to be thinking like that and not thinking, oh, one more day is one less day. You know, because when this happens, when we all get to smell fresh air again and hug each other, it's going to be a different world. <laughs> it will be a different world, no question about it. Finally, finally, Hannah, some hmm. questions that we ask every guest. Two questions. What do you wish you'd known when you started in learning development and what are you curious about right now? So what do you wish you'd known when you started? Absolutely nothing different. I know a lot of people will be like, oh, I'd really like to have known this or this or this. If I'd known anything based on how my life has turned out in L&D, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have got to the places I've done. I wouldn't have experimented in the way that I had. If I knew that a certain way of developing L&D would fail, would I not do it? Or would I still do it and still get the same learning from it? And, and for me, I'd rather stick exactly the same way because I've learned so much in what's worked and what hasn't worked. In the same way Edison made a thousand different light bulbs that didn't work and one that did work. I feel that that has helped shape me and my thinking. So I would keep everything exactly the same. There's a brilliant phrase called retrospective coherence, where you look back and everything apparently makes sense when you mm. live your life, uh, even though at the time it all seemed to be completely random. You get to where you are because of where you've been. Mm. What are you curious about right now? Well, I'm reading a new book. And it's an actual real book, not an audio book. It's not actually an audio book, which is uh, it's annoying for me because I normally listen on the go. But um, Jane Daly, who does Women in Learning with Kate Graham, we were talking about books because I, I love a data book and I love something bedded in research. And Physical Intelligence is the book I'm reading right now by Claire Dale and Patricia Painton. It's about harnessing your physical intelligence. So you've got your emotional intelligence and then, of course, you've got your cognitive intelligence, your IQ. But this is talking about physical intelligence. And where this is interesting for me in my work is I believe that L&D in the future will have a lot more to do with pastoral care than previously. We have a lot of members of staff right now in their homes exceptionally stressed. So we have to tap into new ways of getting to them to help them. So pastoral care and this book covers things like strength, flexibility, resilience, endurance to lead a less stressful life, to harness you, you and yourself better. So I'm reading this to understand it more so I can learn how I can translate it into L&D. Can you give me that title again and I'll make sure it goes yeah. into the notes? It's called Physical Intelligence by Claire Dale and Patricia Painton. Thank and I, I'm much. just showing Don the book cover through the webcam just so you can get the right one because there's several books called Physical Intelligence and you've got to get the right one. Dale and Payton, we'll make sure we get the, uh, that into the notes. Thank you so much. It has been, as always, Hannah, a hoot to meet. A pity that it's virtual and not face-to-face, -face, but the advantage of doing it virtually is that we've captured your great thoughts and experiences to share. You started off by saying that you are a learning experience consultant. Of course, you are that, but you bring to it a tremendous amount. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us on the Speaks Exchange. Thank you for inviting me.